Welcome. Your journey starts with improving every aspect of your life. Let's Talk Corelicious Leave Room for Dessert podcast is about discovering your true potential, overcoming your fears, and fighting life like the brave warrior that you are. Be sure to hit the like, comment, and follow button. Your host, Miss V, the Core of Life coach, has over 20 years of military and personal life experiences transforming lives from a caterpillar to a butterfly and bringing on the top influencers, successful entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and more who are rock stars in life, business, and relationships. On days when everything seems overwhelming, someone must remind you that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And with rain comes rainbows. What seems difficult to swallow today is exactly where you'll derive your strength from on the days to come. You are greater than your fears and braver than you seem. Miss V, the core life coach, shares how the hurdles of today will build your tomorrow if you take the right road. Your brighter future demands that you can step up now and change the game for yourself. Well, hello, hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Felicious, Leave Room for Dessert podcast with Miss V, the Core Life Coach. Guess what? We are on episode eight. Today, we have a very special guest today, Dr. D. Anthony Miles. Guess what? He is a serial entrepreneur award-winning researcher, professor, statistician, legal expert, witness, and best-selling author. He has over 20 years of experience in the retail, banking, and financial services industry. He is the CEO and founder of Miles Development Industry Corporation, a consultant practice and venture capital acquisition firm. He is also the host and executive producer of Game On Business Talk radio show. Dr. Miles has presented his research at conferences around the country including Stanford University and Harvard University. As a media expert and legal expert witness, Dr. Miles has been featured on national media outlets such as ABC News, CBS News, Fox News, NBC News, and so much more. Today, we're going to talk about his book that is a buzz around the world. He is a great friend of mine, and the name of his book is called How to Get Away with Murder and Marketing. Wow, this is such an amazing title of a book. So today, I would like to just say welcome, Dr. Miles, to the podcast. Thank you. I sure appreciate it, young lady. How are you? Long time no see. (laughs) 
Yes, I know it's been a, it's been some years. But what we're gonna do is we're going to go into it and talk about some information about your book and uh let's hear from you right now. Okay. Did you want me to discuss uh some things I've been involved with? Tell me what you want to talk about. Well, Let's go into a little bit about who you are, a little bit more than what I said, but give them something okay. to know a little bit more about your bio, just a little bit more so the listener can know just a little bit more about you. Okay, I'm Dr. DeAnthony Miles. Uh, I'm a CEO and founder of Miles Development Industries, a, a venture capital acquisition firm and a consulting firm. I'm a startup and marketing expert. Uh, my background is in startups and marketing. I've been in the field of uh, both for about 20-plus years. I've uh, presented my research around the world. I'm a 22-time award winner for my applied statistics research. I'm also a statistician. I've been in four documentaries. I've done over 100 media interviews. I'm considered an uh, expert in my field, a subject matter expert. I'm a five-time best-selling uh, author. And uh, uh, just pretty much it. <laughs> that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I know, I know. And see, that's why I said more, because this gentleman has a, uh extensive resume. I am so thankful that you came on the show. And let's go into what truly motivated you to write the book, How to Get Away with Murder in Marketing, and what inspired you to write the book. Uh, one of the uh, inspirations for me for writing a book is I noticed that the field of marketing did not have a forensic uh, association with it. And uh, there's uh, in business there's uh, forensic accounting, like what you see on uh, accountants that do fraud and uh, forensics, mm-hmm. where they uh, investigate a company and they do uh, they call it forensic accounting and they determine fraud and. Uh, you know, those type of things, you know, misappropriations of money, you know, if money's been missing. And then you have another field called forensic economics. And that's when people assess damages of a uh, accident to see what the back will see, what the economic damage of that will be. Like uh, there was a lawsuit where uh, a, uh, a, a, excuse me, architect uh, drew up plans for a building and a building collapsed. And the uh, mm. family's attorney went and found out that this guy had lied on his resume that he was an architect. He got hired. Mm. They also hired a forensic uh, economics guy to assess what the economic damage of uh, what happened with the building that collapsed. And uh, that's what they do. They do kind of like uh, damage control, not damage control, but damage assessment. You know, the economic damages of uh, that building collapse and obviously loss of jobs and other things. And so the field of economics has forensic economics. However, I found that the field of marketing did not have a comparable field or comparable um, investigation method of doing the investigation. So that's what I came up with the book or the idea for the book Forensic Marketing or How to Get a Word Murder Forensic Marketing. That's the full title. Wow. And uh, I was wow. inspired by the movie or the show, TV show, uh, How to Get a Word Murder with Viola Davis, so that's how, you know, the, the clever title that I came up with. And uh, forensic marketing is a little different. Forensic marketing, 
does a forensic analysis of a business to see why their marketing has not been effective and uh, why is it why their marketing hasn't been effective, and you do an inside job of uh, investigating it. Uh, forensic accounting mm-hmm. tends to be internal. Forensic economics tends to be external. Forensic marketing actually is both, internal and external mm-hmm. in terms of investigation. So that's how I, that was the inspiration for coming up with the uh, the book, uh, How to Get Away Murder, Forensic Marketing. Wow. Wow. One chapter that stood out to me was Chapter 1, which provides an introduction and overview of forensics. Can you share with us the background behind writing that chapter? Oh, absolutely. Thank you for the great question. Uh, When I wrote Chapter 1, I wanted to uh, give the reader a background of where uh, forensic had been. Forensics had been in the medical field. It had been in the criminal field. It had been in other fields. And uh, in terms of business, uh, that's where a lot of the forensic accounting and forensic economics got their start from. And I talked about how forensics is used in other fields, uh, like you have, uh, I think, forensic psychology, uh, forensic. uh, The FBI actually uses forensics when they investigate a crime. There's uh, Hmm. forensics is used in a medical field. And so I want to give the reader a foundation of forensics and what the background has been and uh, how forensics was used in other fields. And, um, you know, it's, uh, when I did the research on the forensics uh, in other fields, I was fascinated how forensics had been around for so long and that most recently business started picking up using forensics in a business school or the, the uh, field of business. But uh, you got to... Uh, so many uses of forensics. Again, it's highly used in the medical field, highly used mm-hmm. in the uh, criminal uh, arena. It's used in sub-other fields. It just has an extensive foundation and an extensive background. And I'm just happy that I was able to find a lot of research there to build a foundation for the book. And so that, that really, really resonated with me, uh, the forensics and how it's used in other fields outside of business. Wow, that's awesome. Let's go into what was was most inspirational part of the book and how has the public responded to your book so far? Uh, it's been a, a lukewarm a little bit, I think, because I broke the mold because there was no mm-hmm. books on forensic marketing. It's been... A couple of journal articles have been written about it. Uh, there wasn't really much uh, other than a case study from a couple of uh, journal articles I investigated. And mm-hmm. like when I wrote my first book, there are virtually no books on forensic marketing. I think my book is probably the standard now because I oh, use wow. forensics in a way that it wasn't used so much in marketing. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the things, the other inspiration of me writing the book was well, how can a field of marketing be taken seriously if we don't have a book on forensic marketing? And mm. um, I, my book is very technical. With, you know, probably that's the yeah. outside of it, but that's a, the upside as well. It's very technical. Um, a person picking up my book that's a non-marketing person, it'll probably be very technical to them. A person that's in the field of marketing or business, the book would really, mm-hmm. really resonate with them. It would be something that they would just, be very, 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 um, 
I guess, in tune to things that they didn't uh, understand how to apply marketing. You know, I have frameworks in there. For example, I have a framework on how to do a uh, audit in terms of your uh, legalities in terms of marketing. Like, um, if we uh, do a forensic analysis of a company in terms of uh, forensic marketing, I want to know, based on this chapter, that's chapter four, what is the background mm-hmm. of the company in terms of lawsuits and litigation? Has the company been in a lot of, uh, you know, litigation? As a company, is there, are there trademarks and things uh, up to speed? Do they have a conflict with their uh, trademarks on their products, on their product line? Do they have a problem with their, you know, having their name, um, trademark, or register, their patents, all those type of things? That's the legal mm-hmm. part that you determine when you have to do your forensic investigation. You don't want a company that you, you know, you do your investigation to find out they have a history of legal problems because they have nothing uh, registered with the United States government trademark office. So you would uncover that as an investigator, why they're having trouble now because they have a history of being in, you know, in litigation. The litigation costs money, takes money away from your profits, and it can also hurt your profits if you get a cease and desist letter about a product that you have on the market. So that's why mm-hmm. uh, that particular chapter is important. You have to know what is the company history in terms of being uh, involved with litigation, in terms of lawsuits and settlements and those type of things. So that was the other inspiration why I wrote the book, and that was uh, a really big key to looking at, okay, when we have a product out, should we cover the back end as well as the front end? Don't we want to register our product name? Don't we want to register the patent or whatever if we have a – a uh, process that we do to create the product. We want to we want to protect our name legal and those type of things. You'd be surprised some of the mm-hmm. companies out there that just run on a loose ship like that. So that was oh, you wow. know part of inspiration in writing the book. All right, let's segue into chapter two, focusing on the introduction to forensic accounting and its methods and tactics. Can you tell us more about the background of writing that chapter? Well, okay, uh, that's a great question. In terms of Chapter 2, I borrowed a lot of things from Forensic Accounting. When I uh, did the, uh, I believe it was Chapter uh, 6 on the chapter concerning, um, no, I believe that's Chapter 7, uh, concerning uh, pricing and um, pricing and uh, pricing forensics. Mm-hmm. When I borrow from the what I borrow from forensic accounting is I took some of the elements of that in terms of investigation. Now again, forensic accounting is an investigative uh, approach to finding fraud, to finding uh, mm. if a company is uh, you know, are their finances in order, or is there money being missing? And uh, I've met some people that have actually conducted forensic accounting, and this this is very, quite interesting. They could basically mm. look at a company's financials and find out if there are irregularities and uh, uh, improprieties in terms of money. So when you look at forensic accounting, there are the CSI guys that are in accounting. You've probably seen, uh, what is that, the untouchables? When, when Elliot Ness was putting together his team, going after uh, Al Capone, he hired a guy that was an accountant, that was a CPA, and the guy actually got a hold of... Uh, Al Capone's books. He did a forensic investigation to find that Al Capone, you know, had money coming from different places, and there were some improprieties, and he was hiding money. 
and everything there was there in front of the CPA. So he did a forensic investigation and found so many laws that were broken. And that's what they do. It's basically, basically the, uh, they're the persons that are probably scarier than the, um, you know, investigate, investigating a crime. They can find everything. A CPA with a sharp eye that does a forensic accounting investigation can see things mm-hmm. that you don't see. They look for patterns. They look for different things that raise red flags, like uh, why is this entry consistent over a 12-month period, the same entry, and why did it change over this course of time and didn't change this course of time? They ask questions. So when I um, uh, talked about that chapter in the book, I wanted to give uh, the people, the readers, a chance to understand, you know, other than my uh, model that I propose for forensic marketing, I want to give them a chance to understand how forensic accounting works and what it's used mm-hmm. for and what the basis of it is and how it helps people uncover fraud and un- uncover uh, crimes being committed from an accounting perspective. All right. Now let's explore some fascinating aspects of your book. Chapter 3 introduces forensic marketing, and I found it quite interesting. Can you share the background behind writing that chapter? Well, I had to go out to work with an NB canvas, and it was very difficult. I had to literally create the model for forensic mm. marketing based on some other books that I had read or other articles. I literally did not have a whole lot of sources for forensic marketing. And I did an exhaustive, exhaustive uh, research on forensic marketing, and there was nothing there. And I found out that I had to, you know, with the help of the two articles that were written or three, I had to develop mm-hmm. a model for conducting a proper forensic marketing investigation. Excuse me. And what I did was I took what the two previous journal articles were, and I expanded on them, and I created a model, and I created, okay, mm-hmm. if I'm going to do an investigation what in terms of marketing, what would I want to look at in terms of a company? If I want to find out, and first let me – say this to you, Valisa. Uh, um, let me let me explain what forensic marketing is again for the audience and reiterate that. Forensic yes. marketing okay. is the investigation of gaps in your performance and what's going on in the marketplace. Why you have a low market share, why your product is not competitive in the marketplace. Where's where's some uh where's some uh clues in me if I'm an investigator why is it things are that way? Basically, forensic marketing, as opposed to forensic accounting or forensic economics, forensic marketing is trying to investigate the gap between profitability and why your company's not successful for marketing your product successfully. That's basically what forensic marketing is, okay, in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. What's, why, are you, why are your products not competitive in the marketplace? Why are your products uh, not, why are people not buying your products? And that's what my job is to investigate that. And that's basically the basis of it. Yeah, I'm investigating profitability, why your why your product's not moving, why you're not moving any units, where you are in terms of your market share, uh, those type of things. And again, uh I would say forensic marketing is external and internal in terms of uh, investigation type. And again, it's external because you're looking at things that are happening outside the company like the marketing environment competitors, mm-hmm. market share, uh, those type of things. And then internal, you're looking at your your uh, 
accounting, you're looking at uh, your profit and sales, you're looking at your product line, maybe you need to drop a couple of products from your product line. Maybe you need to cut down a whole division in terms of a product line that's not selling. So forensic marketing is going to help you uncover those things. I actually had the idea for doing the second book, but I think I hit it the first book because it was it would probably be another 500-page book, which I yeah. probably would scare Woo. a lot of people off. But I think, yes. Uh, yes, I think the first book kind of nailed everything that needs to be in there in terms of a forensic, conducting a forensic marketing investigation. And I'm just glad that I was uh, probably the first to put together and establish a foundation for forensic marketing because I, I could not find anything that was uh, in the literature my exhaustive internet research, uh, there was no books out there that actually spe- specifically talked about forensic marketing. It's not mentioned in most marketing books. And I just found mm-hmm. that incredibly odd. How do we have yes. no mention of forensic marketing and doing an investigation and those type of things? And so I said, well, I'm going to be a maverick and I'll, I'll put something together. And uh, that's what I did. And I think I'm proud of the results that I came up with. It took me four years to write this book. It was very, very, wow. it was exhaustive, exhaustive piece of work and literature. <laughs> wow. Let's go into, so you talked about being that ma- uh, maverick. What advice will you give to startups and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to incorporate forensic marketing into their business strategies? Um, if I were to tell somebody that was doing a startup, one, they're not established yet, so they may not have a lot to investigate. And then, if say if they were established and want to do a, a forensic marketing uh, check, I would probably recommend they probably not try to do that themselves because one, you probably would be myopic, like things that you probably would notice in the business, somebody else would notice because they have a, you know, they they could be more objective. I would, no, I'm not okay. telling you spend money you don't need to spend, but I'm saying um, you may you may can do some things, you know, to investigate yourself mm-hmm. because a lot of times people don't want to know the truth, and people ignore the truth. The truth is it is what it is, and you have a product that sucks and a product that's not doing anything. Well, there's emotions behind it. You may not want to drop that product because it has your daughter's name or your family name. And that's a lot there. And, you know, somebody that will come in and do an independent investigation would be completely objective. They would have a different perspective about it. they say, you need to drop this, that, and this, and that. And some people don't want to hear that. And that's what you'll yeah. find out in, in even forensic accounting and forensic economics. People don't like the results of the investigation because, one, they, you're objective. You see things for what they are and not for what they want to be. They call that social mm-hmm. intelligence to see things the way they are, not the way you want them to be. And as an investigator, you're going to see what you see and write it up and, and, and give a conclusion to your investigation. And again, uh, some people don't want to hear that. And it's, it's kind of like the uh, ugly medicine that you have to take. If somebody's telling mm-hmm. you your product line is, is, a, is a, needs to be dropped, your product is not competitive in the marketplace, and that's the main, your main profitability is that product line. Some people won't take that very well. So, again, uh, I would say forensic uh, marketing from a marketing perspective is more of a wake-up call. I'm going to okay. tell you what I see. I'm going to tell you how it is. And that's up to you how you process that information. 
you take that information and make it work for you, or do you keep your head in the sand and be like Mr. Magoo, don't see what's in front of you? And again, right. some people don't want the, you know, they don't want the naked truth. They want the, the fabricated lie. What it looks good to me, I, you know, that's a bad way to be in business. It's like warfare. When your lieutenants tell you something, do you want them to only tell you the good things? You also want them to tell you the bad things, give you the bad news and the good news. Some people like to hear the bad news first and then hear the good news, and some people like to hear the good news first and the bad news. But you got to get the information, is which is the news. And that's what I think forensic marketing investigators will try to do. Right. Let's switch gears here. Let's talk about your experience as a media expert and legal expert witness. How has that influenced your approach to forensic marketing? Uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, by media, uh, in terms of my media, being interviewed in the media as a subject matter expert, it actually helped mm-hmm. me write the book. Did it help me? think in terms of uh, if I were doing an investigation or expose, how would I do that? And I think mm-hmm. having been interviewed in, uh, in uh, you know, major media like Reader's Digest and Forbes, ABC News and outlets um, like that, it gave me a different perspective on writing the book and how, what would I look for? If I was going to create a book on investigation, how would I do that? Mm-hmm. No, so the, my uh, ex, my experience as a legal expert witness that prepared me because when I prepared for a case, I literally I do mm. the same thing just in a different context. Uh, if I'm getting brought into a case, I'll give you an example. There's a famous okay. entrepreneur out there who's trying to buy. I forgot what company it was. You know, I, you know it's confidential. Um, he was trying to sue a major restaurant because they uh, refused to do any advertising with him, okay? And he was claiming he was being discriminated against, and I was being hired, I believe, by him. He was the plaintiff. And I declined (laughs) to be a witness in the case because I didn't see his case as being uh, successful. And I Mm. just didn't didn't see how he was going to prevail because he didn't have a basis for his lawsuit. And could he? There was just some things that probably weren't right about him being discriminated against. That's really, really, really a tough. You know, it's not what you know; it's what you can prove. That was very difficult for him, and I didn't think mm-hmm. he had a case, so I declined to be a witness to that case. And what, oh, wow. how that helped me with my book is: when you're a legal expert witness, you have to do an investigation like an attorney. Uh, you have to make sure that you're. Uh, your background is in order because the opposing attorney will cross-examine you and he will ask, they scrutinize your CV with a fine-tooth comb and they're looking for anything to discredit you as an expert witness. Don't lie mm. and say you have a Ph.D. if you don't. Don't lie and say you have a master's degree and you don't. Those type of things are what they look for. You can be discredited as an uh, expert witness and ask really bad on you. Because you won't probably mm. be a long time before someone asks you to be a witness in the case. So if wow. you have something in your background that's not true, you better be careful and not put that on there. You can't say you presented at conferences that you weren't there. 
not that they would find that out, but they look for things yeah. to discredit you, the, the opposing uh, uh, party. And really, when they're cross-examining you on the stand, it should be mm-hmm. about the case, not about your background. And that's what that's a lot of uh, opposing attorneys try to do for the defendants in this case. They try to pivot from the merits of the case to the merits of the expert witness. Um, mm. Well, tell me about your PhD. Where I don't, I don't, can't see where you graduated from. Which they surely the school will verify it. But the goal of the opposing party is to shift the focus on the client and shift the focus on the expert witness and try to discredit you. And uh, mm. it, you know, and other things they do is try to uh, aggra- aggravate you, uh, try to get you angry to where you'll do something based on you getting upset, and you have to be real careful about that. But having mm-hmm. that experience really helped me write the book because it helped me look for things in case I'll be brought in as expert witness from doing, from doing a forensic marketing investigation. I could say what my report indicated to me, and they could it'd be hard for them to, to uh, dispute it or discredit what I say on my investigator's report. And so, uh, uh, but uh, I never considered forensic marketing being used in that context in terms of being a, a uh, I guess, a, a legal expert witness. However, I can mm-hmm. see it transitioning to that. But uh, those two mm-hmm. fields, being interviewed in the media as a subject matter expert and being uh, asked to be an expert witness in a case helped me really write the book. It really gave me some, uh, I would say, gave me a foundation for writing the book and being more probably precise in my writing and uh in terms of technical things and also in terms of uh factual things so that's okay. how i saw the that those two backgrounds uh, my two experiences those two areas being a very very good foundation for me writing the book all right uh well said well said can you share any success stories or examples of businesses that have achieved significant results through forensic marketing? Uh, because my book is new, I can't give you these success stories. Because remember, I had okay. to establish this as a field in terms of a field of forensic marketing. You could probably ask me that same question maybe in about a couple of years. Now that I establish okay. it as a, a as an investigation tool and apparatus. Okay. And I like to think we have consultants that go consult people on marketing, they'll follow some of the tools and procedures and processes that I put in the book to give them a more robust investigation. But uh, because my okay. book is new, there's no established feeling in it until I wrote the book. That's probably not going to be until a couple of years from now. Okay. So, okay, a couple of years from now. What are some key challenges that businesses may face when implementing forensic marketing techniques? Uh, well, one of the challenges, i give you two. One of the challenges is to uh, try to dispel what people think in, as in terms of versus what the results of your investigation tells them. That goes back to the other uh, statement that I made earlier about people wanting to know the truth about what's going on in their business. Well, some people don't want the ugly truth. They want to tell, they want to look at their business and not look at it the way they should be looking at it. They want to look at it with rose colored glasses. Well, an investigator, a forensic investigator, whether it's accounting, economics, or marketing, 
is going to investigate your business from an objective point of view, and they're going to say what the good, bad, and the ugly is. And some people, that may be a wake-up call. Some people, you know, you never know how people take information. They either mm-hmm. accept it or they reject it. And if your product's in a dumper and you really don't have anything that you can hold on to in terms of success, you might want to listen to the investigator and let him tell you what he sees and what you can do about it. That's like the parent that don't want to hear about their kids' bad grades, what their kids do at school. Some people don't want to take information like that. Then the second thing mm. is to you can use forensic marketing as an opportunity for you to tighten up and sharpen your tools, sharpen up your uh, sword. You can say, okay, how can I take this information and use it to my advantage? And a lot of times, mm-hmm. again, everybody takes information, you know, either positively or negative. Uh, if you don't like what you hear, why don't you be the difference maker and see how to change it? Maybe that'll yeah. to give you the impetus to come up with a new product that's, that's, that trumps all the products that you have in your marketplace or find a market or niche that's being underserved and focus your product to go target that market and niche. And now you, you know, you made money because you find a niche that was not being uh, a population that was not being, that's being underserved. So that's, I would say when you look at uh, forensic marketing in terms of helping businesses and those type of things, you want to look, you want to get the wake up call and then you want to take the information and use it to your advantage and say, okay, if this is the way it is, this is what I can do. And you're making, then also it helps you make a smart and more informed decision based on information and not based on feelings. Mm. Wow. Chapter 8 delves into law and policy forensics, LPF. What can readers expect from this chapter and what inspired you to write about it? Well, uh, that's a great question. Uh, one of the things that I put together when I was writing the chapter on law and policy, and I'll go back to what we talked about earlier, is mm-hmm. is your business products, are they legal? Do you have any problems with trademarks? Do you have any problems with uh, patents? Do you have any problems with uh, mm-hmm. trademark infringement images? There's companies that don't do their homework. And mm-hmm. how would you like to invest a million dollars into a product and then get a cease and desist letter because your product, trademark, or, or, or artwork looks too similar to another company? So mm. I wrote this chapter. That's what I had in mind. How do you do a forensic investigation on a company's legalities? Then you look at, okay, is all their trademarks things, are they are they in order? Is their name in order? Is, is there threats to somebody having similar products to theirs that, you know, you have to be aware of? Also, do you, are you aware of that, uh, what's the... Uh, is your trademark ending anytime soon? I think your trademark is 20-something-plus years. Those kids, you need to renew it. or what well, those type of mm-hmm. things. Also, your history of litigation. Do you have a history of being brought to court for trademark infringement? Uh, do you have a history of being sued by companies? Uh, that's, that was the impetus for writing that chapter. And that's, I consider mm. that a, a necessary risk that companies need to take it, uh, you know, take a look at. Am I legal? That's basically the basis of that chapter. Are you legal? Mm -hmm. Are you making sure your products are protected in terms of trademarks, in terms of uh, patents, in terms of those things? And that was the basis and inspiration for writing that chapter 
uh, I believe it's called um, Law Marketing, Law and Policy Forensics. Yes. Okay. How can businesses effectively use social media platforms for forensic marketing purposes? Well, if you file hire investigator to look at your integrated marketing uh, communications platform, in which means you you have one message, but your message is being distributed through different platforms such as traditional media, digital media, social media, and everything, and from a PR perspective. And if a mm-hmm. forensic marketing investigator does an investigation on your social media, which is part of your integrated marketing communications portfolio, he wants to see if mm-hmm. there are inconsistencies or if there are consistencies. Is your message uniform or does your message change from if you advertise on TV or if you advertise on uh, social media, is it the same message? A lot of people really mm-hmm. take that for granted. That's a really good question. Do you, don't, you don't want to say different things. In each platform, you want to say the same thing, but do it in different ways. Mm. Like if you say something on television, you do a television ad, you want to also make sure that your message is consistent in your digital marketing and your social media. So you want to have Mm. one message, but different ways that the message is being distributed. And a lot of people, I would say, don't understand that aspect of it. You don't, you don't, you want to be consistent because the consistency is what hurt, what helps your branding your brand offering, your value proposition. So you want to be sure that your message is consistent throughout media platforms. Hmm. What are some key skills or qualifications that professionals could possess to excel in the field of forensic marketing? Oh, that's a great question. Um, it would help if you had at least an MBA. Maybe you don't have to have a PhD or, or a doctorate. Uh, because uh, it's very, very sophisticated, uh, a task of doing sophisticated work in terms of research. So you want to have probably a business background, if not necessarily a business background, a criminal uh, investigation background, uh, maybe in criminology, uh, and uh, maybe possibly maybe another field, maybe I wouldn't say statistics, but maybe something that has an investigative focus. I'll say business, criminology, and maybe probably some uh, outside field like research, and I will give you I will give you a great foundation for learning forensic marketing. It will give you you will learn a probably a different way of investigating and take your background as investigator. It would have to add a notch to your belt and actually add a skill mm-hmm. to your uh, arsenal. You will learn how to investigate something from a particular, from a completely different uh, uh, background than you're normally used to. Like in criminality, excuse me, I'm not saying it right. Criminology, they investigate, they look for patterns, they try to connect dots. They try to, well, he died at such and such time, and he left the ice cream on the cabinet. It sounds like OJ, right? And the ice cream melted at this time, so we could, we we would come to the conclusion that the murders had to happen before the ice cream was on the counter. And there's a, also in the criminology, there's a crime scene. So you as a forensic marketing investigator would use the place of business as a crime scene, which is something similar. So if a professor wants to be a forensic and marketing investigator, it would help that he would have a background in some investigation, uh, 
at least an MBA or, or I would say MBA, a master's degree in the field. And that would be a, probably a good foundation for developing forensic marketing investigation skills. Oh, wow. How can businesses ensure the security and confidentiality of data when implementing forensic marketing techniques? You're saying how, how, uh, how much it can be validated? Is that what you're asking, Melissa? Yes, more so, yes. Well, that's a really interesting question, and I can answer it this way. Um, if you're a skilled investigator, you will probably have some really good thorough notes. And unlike statistics where you can verify the data, forensic marketing is more of a qualitative skill, and it would probably be a lot difficult to verify the data or information. You would have to, well, in terms of certain things like pricing, financials, well, that can be verified. But if you're mm -hmm. talking about things like uh, – like there's a the the part of the book is uh, management and uh, law and policy. Well, if I want to measure or investigate how qualified the people in my particular department is in terms of marketing, and I go do the background check on them, and I find out that none of them have a degree in business, none of them have an MBA, none of them have no background in marketing. Well, that could be that would be validated by probably their resumes and what their background is. So that would be a double-edged sword in terms of verification and validation. You would have to really mm -hmm. probably take the, uh, take the word of the investigator because he's actually doing an investigation and he's putting his reputation on the line. So in terms of validation, that could be a challenge. Mm. Unless it's, uh, okay. if it's financials, dealing with numbers or that sort, it could be a challenge to validate uh, qualitative information. So you'd have to probably, I would guess, trust in him what he tells you in his investigation because it's hard to validate quali quali qualitative information, which is the basis of forensic marketing investigations. Okay. Let's go into Chapter 11, and that okay. covers pricing forensics, PCF. Can you provide some insight into the background of writing that chapter? Sure. That's a really key chapter in the book in terms of pricing forensics. Uh, basically, your pricing really determines your profitability. It, it determines uh, your profit margins. Like if you sell something for $20 and your cost is $25, that would be considered a 50% profit margin. Well, your profit margin is going to tell you is going to give you some keys to your profitability in terms of what your products are bringing in, and do you need to lower your prices to get your products in line with the market, or do you need to raise your prices? And then you need to look at your cost. Are your costs in line with your profitability? If something costs you forty dollars and you charge people fifty dollars, your profit margin is going to be really, really uh, questionable, probably below five percent, or I'm just you know hypothetically speaking. So pricing, you know, and then maybe in terms of pricing, is your products overpriced or your products underpriced? So you need to look at that, and that's where you do your uh, forensic uh, investigation in terms of pricing forensics. I want to know what my product makes. If I sell 100 units, I want to know what my profit margin is, 
And if it's not that, why isn't it what I'm supposed to be making in terms of my profit margin? One of the things that we, you know, we have to understand is, well, we charge more because we use better materials or we, we have used prior resources in terms of raw resources. Can we, if we, do we have a prestige in our model where we can charge a higher price? Like, you me give an example, like a Mont Blanc pen. Mont Blanc pens cost, they used to be $100. I'm sure they're more than that now. Well, they are they using anything different than anybody else in terms of uh, natural resources to manufacture their product? Probably not. Maybe, maybe so. Or they use the same materials, but they're able to charge more because of the prestige of their brand. So those are some of the things that you want to look at in terms of your pricing forensics. Uh, you want them to pay attention to your cost, and you want to make sure mm-hmm. your costs are in alignment with your profits. Uh, are we overcharging customers or are we undercharging customers? Like in marketing, pricing has a lot to do with prestige because some brands have a higher prestige than other brands. Think about some of the major brands out there that charge a lot for their products. Mercedes-Benz, Lexus, BMW. Are they building better cars because they have better resources and they can charge more? Are they charging more based on their branding and brand offering? All cars have a motor. All cars take oil. All cars have four tires. What makes them sell their product at a higher price than someone else? another car manufacturer. So those are some of the things that the pricing for Renix will try to uncover is the pricing in line with the cost. And if we extend our costs more than people in the marketplace, can we back that up with the prestige of the brand? So that's pretty much what the pricing forensics are in terms of investigation in Chapter 11. Okay. What are some key considerations for businesses when conducting forensic marketing investigations? A key consideration would be you want to know your truth in terms of how your company is performing in the marketplace and how your company is performing internally. Do we have, for a long time, Melissa, um, people could not measure return on investments for uh, campaigns and marketing. And a lot of times when companies want downsize, and cut jobs, the first place they will start is in the marketing department. So that was the other inspiration for me writing a book. Why are you cutting mm-hmm. people in the marketing department, those people that are selling your product? You don't want to cut them, and that's a lot of guys have that mentality. I'm going to start at a marketing department. I don't need all those people. That's the wrong attitude to have. And for the longest, you could not measure efforts in your marketing in terms of your advertising, we didn't have a we didn't have a ROI return on investment to measure. We didn't have any analytics. So in the old days, that's what they used to do. You spend three million dollars on an ad, say the Super Bowl, and you didn't get any you didn't get any bites off of that. Well, then that was a waste of three. That was a bad investment. Three, you know, a million dollars to uh, mm-hmm. advertise at the Super Bowl, and you didn't get a return on investment. Marketing has made a change, and I would say it's a welcome change. Is you can measure measure the efforts of your ad campaign or PR work, and you know with financials, you would use sales as a uh, as a I would say a barometer of that to measure if your ad or anything has been successful. Sales will be kind of like your scoreboard for that. So the entrepreneur that wants to take this 
and use this, mm-hmm. you want to make sure the sales is a great indicator of your efforts. Either you're selling or you're not selling. And so forensic mm-hmm. marketing could actually help you uncover that. What's, what, do you, what efforts are you making in the marketplace, and are your efforts successful based on an investigation of your sales, an investigation of your pricing, and also an investigation of your product offering and uh, you know, your value proposition of your product line? So I would say that's mm-hmm. what entrepreneurs can say. They would probably, in a quick way to guess, look at a forensic marketing way is to look at your sales. Your sales is a great indicator of well, what your efforts are in terms of uh, your efforts in the marketplace, you know, against your competitors or with your competitors. Okay. How can businesses build a culture of transparency and accountability through forensic marketing practices? Oh, that's a great question. Um, the transparency would definitely come from having somewhat objective conduct investigation. Again, I would not recommend somebody doing a self-investigation unless you're just trying to be cheap and don't have the money. You should also bring, you should most definitely bring an outside expert to do that for you. And again, people do what they think is important. People do what they think is in their best interest. I don't see it being to an advantage of you having an uh, inside person try to do a forensic marketing investigation. Uh, I guess you could do that. I wouldn't particularly recommend that. So the transparency will come in what the results of the investigation will tell you. And, you know, you if you do it internally, it's kind of like the guy that won't tell the king his butt is sticking out, and the king doesn't want to hear bad news off with his head. Well, if you hire somebody objective, they don't have to worry about having fear about telling you the bad news. So I think that's why uh, transparency in terms of forensic marketing can be achieved if you hire a person from the outside looking in. They'll be more objective. And I think transparency would be a full, high transparency between the two parties would be achieved. What are some key indicators or red flags that businesses should look out for when conducting forensic marketing investigations? Oh, goodness. That's a good question as well. After each chapter, I have a, I have a, uh, a matrix of red flags that you need to look for in terms of each chapter in the book. Uh, case in point, uh, if, you want to look, if you want to look at brand offering and value proposition, I have red flags there that will talk about things like does your product save the customer money? You do somewhat of a brand audit in terms of value proposition. Does a product save customers money? If it doesn't, that's a red flag. If you're not saving a customer time or money, why should they buy your product? Okay. Mm-hmm. Does the product make the customer feel bad or consumer feel good about making a purchase? Why did you buy those expensive pumps and uh Black shoes or red bottom shoes, do they make you feel good? So red flag would be, in general, the red flag would let you know, ding, 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 this is what we need to pay attention to because this is what we saw in the investigation. So to answer that question, it would depend on a, the uh, content in which you're doing investigation. It would be a mm-hmm. general red flag. A general, It would be more of a specific red flag in terms of what you saw versus what you see as a red flag. Some companies mm-hmm. have too many products in the marketplace. They're, they're saturated, 
they're keeping products on their product line and not making money, so they're putting money into a product that's never going to give them the results that they want, so why do they keep it? Maybe it's pride. Maybe they're waiting for the market to shift. So a red flag of that would be your sales. Again, sales is the, your report card, you know, literally. If we've been selling this product for this many years and we haven't moved an inch in terms of market share and we're losing money, what's the impetus for us to keep this product on the marketplace? Should we either uh, get rid of the product or find a underserved population and target them and for the use of that product? You know, what you want to do, what the red flags would do is give you the bad, what they see, what you need to look out for, and then how you can pivot from that and pivot from the information that you got. So the red flag would be, in general, in terms of the book or specific, uh, specific chapters in the book, the red flag would be a warning what to look out for. That helps the investigator do a thorough forensic marketing investigation. That's what the red flag would be. Okay, I'm going to ask you one last question, and then we're going to uh, find out where we can get your book. This is the last question because we're okay. getting close to ending the, the uh, podcast. Can you share okay. any tips for businesses on how to effectively manage and protect their digital assets in the context of forensic marketing? Well, I would recommend someone doing an investigation, not because there's a problem, not because necessarily because you want to uh, you give the, the red flag to hit you up. Maybe you need to do an investigation somewhat in the context of an audit to see where you are and where, how, where you are as far from where you want to be, if that's consistent or as if that's in alignment. So that's what a business may want to do. They may want to have them, unless they, and I, I'm the kind of person I would think, Maybe you don't have to have problems before you do something. Maybe you want to be preventive. I would say a forensic marketing investigation could be a preventive measure. They could help the uh, company and help the business and help them either avoid pitfalls or try to miss the pitfalls that would, that, that uh, fix their profitability. That's what I would recommend. And the, how they would use it is to use it as a as, use the investigation as a, a uh I guess the honest assessment to get you on the right track to where where you could do some things better. Obviously, there's uh, always room for improvement. You can do some things better, or you can look at some things that you weren't paying attention to that could be a problem in the future for you. Forensic marketing tends to be present-oriented, future-oriented, and past-oriented. Awesome. Awesome. Where can they find your book? My book is on uh, Amazon. It's on uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, it's on, I believe, it's on the publisher's website. I think Archway or Simon and Schuster, and uh, it's pretty much all over the place. I've uh, been really lucky that the book has been available uh, everywhere. All right, Doctor Anthony Miles, thank you for joining us on Let's Talk Deliciously Room for Dessert podcast. It's been a pleasure, and thank, bye for Thank now. you so much. Thank you so You're much welcome. for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Let's talk Corlicious Leave Room for Dessert podcast with Miss V. The Core Life Coach will give you the tools to build resilience 
and activate the leader within and identify what truly matters in your life. Some years down the line, you'll look back and smile at how you thought you might not get through it. That's when you'll be proud of yourself for prioritizing your well-being and personal growth. You are the rock star that your family and kids look up to for light. Let's help you grow and evolve with Let's Talk Coralicious Leave Room for Dessert podcast with Miss V, the core life coach, an unparalleled opportunity to truly live up to your fullest potential and find comfort in your own skin.